Hello, and welcome back to the Braxton Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Gidding. Last week on Campfire Stories was Chapter 3, Trouble. This week, Chapter 4, The King's Return. So let's go get that campfire started, and we'll nestle in for a good story. The Kings of Braxton, Born Unto Trouble. Chapter 4. The King's Return. 1. The morning came with a brilliant sunrise over the king's land. The roosters made their morning call as the farm came to life. Sam and Neil, as usual, were up before the sun and were hard at work in the barn, fixing the engine on one of the tractors. The farm dogs were laying on the porch watching as life leisurely passed them by. The farmhands were getting the land ready for the upcoming planting season by working the fields and kicking up dust. Al sat on the porch, relaxing in his rocking chair, his cane lying across his lap. He was waiting for Junior to come talk to the boys, but he was growing impatient. Boom walked toward the open door of the barn where the brothers were. Fuller Boom Fan was an Irish immigrant and moonshiner. He was tall, over six feet, with long black matted hair. His pants were too short and were held up by thick suspenders that were visible beneath his half-buttoned shirt. Boom was in the war with the brothers, and a former soldier in the Irish Republican Brotherhood. The brothers were all too happy to give him a job on the farm when the war ended, and he was unable to return to Ireland. Boom stood by the door and watched as Junior drove up the dusty drive toward the King's farmhouse in his fancy new Dodge touring car. He had the top down to enjoy the nice breezy day. It was bright red with wooden spokes on the wheels, painted red to match. Sam stopped what he was doing at the sound of Junior's loud engine drawing near. Now a stout man of twenty-four with a long beard and long hair that hung just past his chin, Sam was built strong. His arms were as thick as tree trunks, and his chest was broad. But the hard life was taking a toll on him, aging him far beyond his years. He had a pensive stare that let you know he was always thinking and sizing up the situation. Junior stopped not far from the barn and got out of his car. Sam stared for a moment as Junior walked up to the brothers. Then Boom stopped him at the door by putting his large hand on Junior's chest. Neil poked his head up from the engine and saw their visitor. Neil, now twenty-six, was slightly taller than his younger brother and much thinner. He had a small scar under his right eye and part of his ear was missing on the same side. He looked like he needed to shave, always having a five o'clock shadow, and his hair was only slightly longer than that. Neil put down his wrench and grabbed a rag to wipe his hands, then turned to Boom, who still had his hand on Junior's chest, and nodded. Boom lowered his hand. There was a moment of silence as nobody wanted to be the first to speak. Al watched from the porch with the dogs, hoping that the talk would go well and his nephews would return to their destiny. 
Junior knew it was up to him to start the conversation. Uh, hey, guys. He stammered a little as he said it. We've been waiting for you, Neil said as he spat tobacco juice. So you heard then? We heard, Neil said, tossing the rag to Sam and leaning against the tractor. There wasn't much that went on in town the brothers didn't know about. They never went into town, but most of their farmhands lived in Braxton and would report everything they heard. Plus, Boom brought the daily Braxton call to them every day. Sam wiped his hands and reached for his fedora. The brim still stained from his five-year-old bloody hand. It had become a constant reminder for Sam, and he was never without it. Well, uh, um, everyone's asking for your help, Junior said. Boom let out a quiet chuckle that sounded more like a snort or a grunt. Junior looked up at the man towering over him. Everyone? Sam asked, knowing the truth. Junior turned back to Sam. Well, not everyone, but the people who matter want your help. I need your help. Al walked from the porch to his old beat-up truck, leaning on his cane for support. He got in and drove off, leaving a cloud of dust behind. Sam placed the fedora on his head and pulled a pipe and a small pouch of tobacco from the pocket of his coveralls. Tell us what you know, Neil said before again spitting tobacco juice. Junior walked into the barn to get out of the bright sunlight. Not much, really. Five men. We got them all, but not before they killed 32 and wounded a lot more, including Lefty. It was a bloodbath. My pa wants your help, and he wants to talk to you. Neil grabbed the tobacco from his mouth with a hooked finger and tossed it on the ground. At the same time, Sam lit his pipe with a wooden match that he also tossed to the ground. Boom stood silently staring at Junior, sizing him up. The tension was thick as the brothers stood quietly for a moment. Junior didn't know what else to say, and... He was quite certain that Boom was looking for a reason to hit him. We'll be there, Neil finally said as he looked to his brother. The brothers walked past Junior, heading to the house, leaving Junior standing in the doorway with Boom still towering over him. Junior was relieved that they were going to at least visit with his dad, but he wasn't sure if they were going to help the town. They had a lot of animosity toward the people of Braxton, and Junior knew it was justified. He felt horrible for not standing up for them as the rumors had gotten out of hand years ago. So he knew that he had to earn back the trust of the brothers after all the years apart. What the feck are you still doing here? Boom asked in his thick Irish accent. Junior's eyes got wide as he backed away from Boom and returned to his car. Two... Junior walked into the mayor's house to find that Jake, Steve, and Al were once again convening with the mayor, waiting for the brothers to show up. Jake leaned against the doorway to the study, holding a large coffee mug, and Al sat quietly in a chair with his cane across his lap. He was reading the paper. On the front page was the photo Atwood had snapped of Liz and Carol 
kneeling on the ground outside of Lefty's. The caption read, Massacre leaves Braxton in fear. Steve stood near the mayor, who was sitting behind his desk. When Junior came in, the mayor looked at his son with inquisitive eyes. They'll be here, Pa, Junior said with confidence. This is ridiculous. We don't need them, Jake ranted. Just then, there was a knock at the door. Junior answered it and escorted the kings into the study. Sam wore a jacket to hide the two shoulder holsters, but wore his gun belt and revolver in plain sight. Neil wore his shoulder holsters uncovered. He wanted everyone to know he was armed to the teeth. He also wore his gun belt and matching revolver. Neil was chewing a chunk of tobacco as the brothers looked around the room at the men, trying to read them. They needed to know who was on board with them. Thanks for coming, Steve said in an official manner. There's no need for pleasantries. We know why we're here, Sam stated sternly. We need your help more than ever. I hope we can get over the past and regain your support, the mayor began. We have never come to you directly as a town, but now we are. Al grinned slightly, eyeing the boys who stood before him as the men he had raised them to be. Their manner and straightforward attitude made Al as proud as any real father would be at the sight of their children, all grown up and taking care of business. The brothers kept a stern look posted on their faces. Sam was there out of a sense of duty, and Neil figured there would be plenty of press coverage on a case like this one. You two are the only ones who can help us, Steve said. Jake sneered at that, and the brothers placed their hands on their custom revolvers. We don't need the problem over there by the door, Neil said to the mayor. Jake stood straight up and took a step forward. Ha! You guys are the problem here. If I had my druthers, you two would have been run out of town for good. Sam drew his revolver and pointed it at Jake to stop him in his tracks. It was a quick draw. So fast that Jake didn't even see Sam go for his gun. It was suddenly just there in his face. Jake took a step back and turned to the mayor, who just stared at him coldly. The room's atmosphere crackled with the heightened tensions, and Al was anxiously waiting to see what would happen next. You've blamed us long enough, Sam said looking down the barrel of his revolver. It's not our fault that your wife is as loose as a two-dollar whore. Jake's eyes got big and he stepped forward with intent, but was halted by Neil drawing his weapon. Looking down the barrel of the twin guns, Jake knew better than to make another move. I don't have to take this, Jake said as he stepped back to the doorway. The brothers holstered their guns. You're right. You should leave, Neil said. Jake didn't know what to do or say. He looked around the room at the men staring at him and felt his face turn red with anger as he leaned against the doorway and looked at the floor. What do we have? Sam asked the mayor. Whatever you want, whatever you need, it's yours with full impunity. 
the mayor said, hoping to entice the brothers to stay and help. Sam turned and walked out of the room. Is that a yes? the mayor asked. Neil walked over to Jake and spat his tobacco juice in Jake's coffee mug, then turned to the mayor and nodded before following Sam. I really hate those boys, Jake muttered under his breath. Three. The Kings pulled up outside lefties and Sam's beat-up 1916 Saxon Six that had seen better days. Before the brothers could get out of the car, Atwood rushed over to him with his camera dangling around his neck. Are the Kings on the job for this? He asked excitedly. Sam opened the door and pushed Atwood out of his way. Atwood grabbed his camera and snapped a shot of the brothers as they walked over to the entrance of Lefty's. Neil tried to keep a cool look on his face, but Sam grabbed the camera and pulled Atwood in close to him. If you get in our way, I'll shove this damn thing down your throat. Sam then released the camera and Atwood stepped back from the brothers as they continued toward the entrance where they encountered Jim Worthington, the officer standing guard at the door. This is a crime scene, boys. You'll have to find somewhere else to go, Jim said, not realizing who he was talking to. The brothers exchanged glances. Let us by. This is our crime scene now, Neil stated flatly. I can't do that. Just then, Junior pulled up in front of the building. It's okay, Jim. Let them by. Junior hollered as he got out of his car. Junior walked up to the group. He was wearing a gun belt with a single pistol on the right side and his sheriff's badge clipped to the other. Did you invite the kings on this? Atwood asked. Junior ignored him. Can I get a quote, Sheriff? Junior walked up to the brothers as Jim stepped aside, letting the kings enter. After Junior and the brothers passed, Jim stepped back in front of the door, blocking Atwood. Walking in the lefties, Sam and Neil were hit with the smell of death. The blood was so thick they could taste the metal in the air. Sam and Neil paused to take in the devastating scene. Blood covered the bar, the tables, the stage, the floor, the walls and even somehow managed to spray on the ceiling. It was as if they were back in the war, witnessing the horrors all over again. Sam closed his eyes for a moment. The sight of the blood was almost more than he could handle all at once. Neil was seemingly unfazed by the sight. After a brief moment, Sam opened his eyes, and Neil put his hand on Sam's shoulder. You okay, little brother? He asked with concern. I am. It just reminds me of the church in Santi. I was thinking the same thing. Sam let out a loud, stuttering sigh before he walked further into the restaurant. Junior followed the brothers, keeping his distance. Sam stood in the center of the restaurant, near an overturned table, looking around the room. In his mind, he saw things as they happened, matching bloodstains to events. He saw the band in their positions based on the blood spots. He slowly turned around and looked over the entire restaurant, 
trying to piece events together, and paused when he got to the bar. He looked at Junior. Who was this? He asked, pointing to a smeared stain. That was Lefty. He was taken to the hospital. He was still alive last I saw, Junior replied in dismay. He got off a shot? Sam asked. Yes, he took one out. That's your booth? Neil asked Junior as he pointed to the booth with the least amount of blood on it. Yes. It's almost like they were expecting us to be here and wanted us to watch. Everyone knows where you are on Friday nights, Neil said as he took a small notepad out of his shirt pocket. Ruthless, cold-blooded, deliberate, and calculated, Sam said as he continued to scan the room. Where were you when you took the bullet? Neil questioned. Junior walked over to the spot behind the booth and looked down. Here, he said. Liz was hiding here. Then she jumped up and I tackled her right right about here. Sam turned and looked at Junior. Elizabeth Douglas? He asked. Junior was a bit hesitant. He had a thing for Liz, but knew she only had eyes for Sam. Yes, she works here as a waitress, Junior answered. Sam walked over to the booth and crouched down to look under it. He cringed at the smell. Just like the church. Smells like piss, blood, and vomit. Neil glanced back at Sam. His face pinched. I noticed that too, he said. What's this about a church? Junior asked. Sam stayed silent as he stood back up and walked over to the bar. Neil walked over to Junior. There was a church in France. It was the scene of a horrendous massacre. Sam doesn't like talking about it, Neil explained quietly. Sam stood by the bar, looking around the room. He could vividly see the bodies from the church as if their ghosts were haunting him. The sights and smells and lefties were dragging him down to a dark place. Along with the visions came the haunting sounds of screams, moans, gunfire, and explosions. The war had snuck up on him after three years of peace, and he wasn't ready for it. Sam turned and looked at Neil, their eyes locked for a moment, and Neil could see that Sam's breathing had gotten heavier. Neil had seen this with Sam before. The demons of the war were kicking Sam in the gut, and Neil knew his brother was in a bad place and needed to get out of the building, away from the stench and images around them. Sam made for the exit as quick as he could to get some fresh air. What's that all about? Junior asked as he watched Sam make his retreat. Nothing, Neil replied with more than just a little concern in his voice. Junior wanted to know more, but he knew this was not the time to push for answers. He just kept quiet and followed Neil outside. There, Junior saw Sam standing near the road holding his fedora in his hands. Adwood was nowhere to be found, which gave a bit of comfort to Neil. He didn't want anyone seeing his brother in anguish. The bright sun and slight breeze helped Sam to calm down just a bit. Neil walked over and stood in silence with him. 
His way of saying, I'm here for you. The visions just hit me again, Sam muttered. His head was hung low. The voices too? Neil asked. Screams, moans. The smell brought it back. I wish I knew how to help, little brother. It'll pass, Sam said tersely, trying to act as if it was no big deal. He placed the fedora back on his head and feigned that nothing was bothering him. Just then, he heard the sound of an engine speeding up. Neil and Sam looked up the street toward the general store just as a beat-up old car sped around the corner, tires squealing. Without hesitation, the brothers drew their guns from their shoulder holsters, two pistols each. As the car got closer, a skinny man leaned out of the passenger window, wielding a Tommy gun and opened fire. Junior ran back inside lefties for cover as bullets flew wildly, hitting the block wall of the restaurant and shattering windows, sending shards of glass raining down. The brothers returned fire, hitting the gunmen first. They gave chase as the car drove past them. As the brothers ran, they shot at the car with a gun in each hand, driven to stop the car before it got too far away for the weapons to be effective. It was an instinct that drove them, one that came from years of training hard and fighting even harder. They knew they couldn't catch the car, but maybe they had a chance of hitting the driver or maybe a tire to send the car to a spinning stop. Their bullets bounced off the car body and shattered every window, yet somehow the driver survived. After a hundred yards or so, the brothers gave up their chase. Sam stopped and hunched over, trying to catch his breath. That's when he realized he had been hit by one of the many flying bullets. It only grazed his shoulder, but did enough damage to require stitches. Neil stumbled to a stop and holstered his weapon, then turned and made his way back to the restaurant, not waiting for his brother. Sam stood straight up, and as he did, he had a vision of sorts. He saw himself standing in the middle of the road, staring right back at him. In the vision, he was covered in blood from head to toe, and was holding his custom revolver. Sam slowly holstered his guns while staring at himself. Then, he trembled slightly, rubbed his eyes, and the vision was gone. He was sure he had seen himself, but he also knew that was impossible. After a moment of second guessing, he shook his head and returned to the restaurant, trying to forget the vision. He was used to hearing voices and seeing people from his past, but never before had he seen himself. You all right there, little brother? Neil asked as Sam walked up to him, blood seeping through his jacket. I am. You got a bit of blood on you. A bit? That's more than a bit, Junior said, almost in a panic. What the hell was that, Junior? Sam asked sharply. What was what? Junior asked, confused. The coward's move you made. Coward? I took cover, like anyone with a lick of sense would have done. Sam walked up to Junior, and without hesitation or warning, removed Junior's gun from its holster. Junior had no time to react. 
This is a gun. You have to use it. It's not just decorations. Sam gave Junior his gun back and turned to the street, where he noticed the spent shells left behind. He picked a few up and examined them. Hey, I ain't crazy like you guys. I ain't no hurry to die. Junior made excuses for his behavior. You think I'm in a hurry to die? Sam asked as he walked back over toward Junior and Neil. Sam had no interest in dying. He was driven by a sense of duty and instinct. Junior's assessment of the situation was insulting to Sam. Neil put his hand out to stop his brother before he reached Junior. I would rather not die. But I can't do my job while hiding. Crazy? Sam tried to push past Neil. Not now, little brother, Neil said. You think I'm crazy because I'm not a coward? Sam removed his fedora and swiped his sweaty hair back. That's why this town needs us. Their sheriff hides from a fight. We don't. Relax, Sam. Let it be, Neil said, continuing to hold Sam at bay. Sam ran his fingers through his hair and returned the fedora to its place. He backed off and walked towards his car. Junior turned to Neil for answers. Give him time. You need to understand his position, Neil said. What position? You let the town turn on us. You didn't stand by us as we stood by you so many times. But Neil didn't let Junior finish. He walked over to Sam's car. Sam pointed to a bullet hole. That's a shame. My first car and it's already starting to look like me, he said as he tossed the bullet shells to the ground and got in. Four. Sam stood in front of the mirror in a small, dark bathroom with old, fading wallpaper. A flickering light hung next to the mirror. Sam had left the door behind him open as he stared at himself. The left sleeve of his shirt was covered in blood and was torn just a bit at the shoulder. He removed his gun belt and set it in the sink. He rubbed his index finger over the raised K and floating crown that had been carved into the maple grips of the pistol years before the gun became his. The carving had faded over the years, but it still stood out sharply to Sam. To him, it was more than just the family farm's brand. It was an idea of vengeance, justice, and peace. Sighing slightly, he reached up and slid his suspenders off his shoulders, making sure not to scrape the wound. He winced only a moment. He then took off his shirt to reveal a scar-covered body. It was like a timeline of his past. Each wound held not only a physical scar, but a mental one as well. The fresh wound was deep enough to cause pain and need a stitch, but the bullet only really grazed his shoulder. Carol came in carrying a first aid kit. She was now twenty-four, short with long hair and a kind face. Sit down, I'll patch you up, she said as if it was just a daily routine. Carol had grown up with the brothers and had watched Al fix them up over the years. Eventually, she started to learn how to do it herself. She would clean wounds, remove bullets, and even stitch the boys up. 
Sam took a seat on the toilet, and Carol perched on the edge of the tub next to him. You've had worse. This is nothing, she said as she pushed the needle through Sam's flesh. He winced from the needle prick just as Neil walked in, looked at the wound, and chuckled. That's nothing, he said. It's been a long time since we've had this type of family gathering, Carol commented as she pulled on the thread. This is one family gathering I could do without, Neil said as he watched his brother being stitched up. A silence fell over the group, interrupted only by Sam flinching again. There was no excuse for him to hide like that, Neil, Sam said, still angry about Junior's actions. Not everyone is like the two of you, Carol began. You can't expect others to react to danger the same way. You guys were raised for this. It's in your blood. She tried to defend her cousin as she tied the first stitch. He helped us enough in the past, Sam began. I never would have expected this from him. He's a cop for crying out loud. The sheriff. If he does it again, I'm likely to shoot him myself. Neil knew that Sam didn't really mean he was going to kill Junior, but that sentiment made him think about Sam's near breakdown at Lefty's. To change the subject, what was that earlier with you? Neil questioned. Nothing. Sam snapped sharply. What was what? Carol asked. Don't worry about it, Sam barked. Neil knew it was something that had to be dealt with, especially if the brothers were going to resume their former lifestyle. But he also knew not to push Sam. When he didn't want to talk about something, he didn't, no matter how hard he was pushed. Sam was a very private person when it came to his feelings. He kept everything hidden away, pushed down in the dark recesses of his mind. Neil knew that one day, everything would come to the surface in an explosion. He just hoped that he would be far away from Sam when it happened. Sam winced in pain once again. Ah! Sorry, I'm a bit out of practice, Carol explained. So are we, I'm afraid. Sam began. We shouldn't have let that guy get away. We're getting older, little brother, Neil said. Carol laughed and turned to Neil. You guys aren't old, just out of practice. And you've never taken care of your bodies, so they're falling apart. I mean, look at you, Sam. There's not a spot on you without a scar of some sort. Sam looked over his body and realized she was right. Knife wounds, bullet wounds, even a large scar from falling off a moving train. He pointed to a horseshoe-shaped scar just under his arm. You remember this one? He asked Neil. How could I forget? You were in the hospital for a week because of that damn mule. The strangest thing. It just ripped the skin right open. Yeah, but we still got that bastard Rogers, Neil said with a chuckle. Yeah, and his damn mule, Sam added. Sam looked down for a moment as his mind ran through the past. Then he looked to Carol. I never thought of it before, but you've probably mopped up gallons of our blood over the years. Sam paused for a moment. All the fixing up you did and never one complaint from you. Well, I had to patch my boys up. Carol paused. 
The physical I can fix. The mental wounds... I can't help but that. Carol pulled the thread tightly, and Sam flinched once more. If you guys would stop getting hurt, I wouldn't have to patch you up, Carol said. You want to compare scars? <laughs> we can go head-to-head -head on that topic, Neil said, laughing. He was hoping to avoid the conversation about mental wounds, knowing it was an ugly topic for Sam. Carol sat quietly, waiting for the argument to start. She was used to the brothers fighting over their scars and their past battles. Between having to cover your ass and watching my own back, it's a wonder I'm still alive, Neil joked. Is that so? Who had to save you from the Kent cousins back in 09? Sam asked in a snarky tone. Kent cousins? Are you ever going to let that go? Neil asked disapprovingly. Carol laughed as she cut the last piece of thread. Clean yourself up, she ordered. She packed up the first aid kit before turning to Neil. And you, stop baiting your brother. You know he gets ornery when you push him. Neil and Carol laughed as they walked out of the bathroom together. Sam picked up a rag and wiped the blood off his chest and arm. Five. The day was drawing to an end as Neil sat on the front porch of the farmhouse, rocking slowly in a creaking chair. A lazy farm dog was panting nearby, watching the chickens as they pecked at the ground on the other side of King's Lane. The sun was still lingering in the sky just above the tree line, and the dusty farm was being worked by farmhands who were feeding the animals and taking the farm equipment to the barns to be cleaned and parked for the evening. Neil had a pad of paper and was going over the words he had written on it. These were notes he had compiled from what he saw inside Lefty's, as well as the shooting outside the restaurant. At the top of the first page, written larger than the rest of the words in bold capital letters, was 32 DEAD. Under that were the words MASSACRE and SURVIVORS, followed by the names of the survivors, John, Marcus, Sally, Liz, Lefty. Next to Lefty's name was a question mark. Sam walked out to the porch and took a seat on a bench not far from Neil's squeaky chair. He had on a fresh shirt and was holding his fedora. The brothers sat in silence while Neil wrote on his pad and Sam pulled out a small pouch of tobacco and his pipe. Carol came out as well and looked over Neil's shoulder as he wrote. Sam loaded his pipe carefully and listened to the natural noises of the farm. Liz? Carol asked. Is that your Liz, Sam? Yes, Neil blurted out. She's one of the few survivors from last night. Neil did not lift his eyes to see Sam's reaction. Sam just lit his pipe and tried to ignore Carol's question. Didn't she ask you to marry her years ago? Carol asked Sam. Neil laughed as he closed the notepad. I remember that. It was so cute. He looked in Sam's direction for a response. Sam looked at Neil, then at Carol. Looking away without a word, he tossed the used wooden match to the ground. You mind your business with intellect, but you mind mine with ignorance, he declared. Oh no, 
Here he goes, quoting Uncle Al again, Neil said as Carol laughed. Sam remembered that day clearly. It was the day he and his brother rescued Liz. Six. Sam, Neil, and Liz walked out of the cabin into the setting sun. The brothers had their horses tied to a tree several yards away. Sam climbed into his saddle, and Neil helped Liz get up on the horse behind Sam. She wrapped her arms around him tightly. The brothers rode back into town, which was a long trip, allowing Sam and Liz to get to know one another. Neil kept mostly silent all the way back. By the time they had returned her to her parents' home, Sam had grown quite fond of Liz, but he knew there was nothing there for her, nothing real. She saw Sam as a hero who saved her life, and she was grateful to Sam. That's as far as it went. As the group rode up to a small farmhouse, Liz jumped from the back of Sam's horse and ran to the arms of her waiting parents. Sam climbed down and walked over to the family, making sure not to interfere with the reunion. After a few moments, Spencer turned to Sam and shook his hand long and hard. How can we ever repay you boys for what you have done? A happy family reunion is all the payment we need, Sam replied. These were the best moments for Sam. He loved seeing the look on the faces of the people he helped. It made him feel like his life was worth something more. Something more than killing and capturing criminals. He turned and walked away from the family. Wait, Sam, Liz yelled after him. He stopped and turned as Liz ran up to him. She wrapped her arms around him tightly, which felt nice. Sam wasn't used to getting that warm of a thank you from people. Thank you, she said shyly. You are very welcome, Liz. I'm glad I could help. She leaned in and hugged Sam tightly again. Will you marry me? She quietly muttered. She was almost shocked that the words came out of her mouth. She released Sam and paused, her face turning red with embarrassment. Well, when I get older, that is, she quickly added. Neil, who was only a few steps behind Sam, laughed. Sam turned and gave Neil a disgusted look, then turned back to Liz. She was feeling really stupid. She put her head down and buried her face in her hands. Sam gently removed her hands from her face and kissed her on the forehead. It was a gentle and caring kiss, one that gave Liz hope. Someday, Liz, you will find the perfect man for you and... He will make you happier than anyone has ever made you before, Sam said warmly. Liz nodded her head, still embarrassed. Then Sam smiled at Liz and mounted his horse. Spencer and Nina walked over to their daughter and watched as the kings rode out of sight. Over the next several weeks, Sam and Liz grew truly close, spending a lot of time together. But soon after that... Sam caught Jake's wife and the lies had driven the brothers out of town. Sam had thought of her often with that sweet crooked smile and kind eyes. The thought of her warmed his mostly cold heart. Sam felt like Liz was made for him. They fit each other. When they were together, he felt calm and 
wasn't worried about what he did or said. He often wondered what had happened to her. 7. Sam was staring off into the distance as his mind went back to the short time he spent with Liz. She's got to be about 19 now, Neil said. Yeah, that would be about right, Sam agreed as he leaned back on the bench. Carol took a seat next to Sam on the bench excitedly. She had always wanted Sam to find a good woman and settle down. She wanted her future kids and Sam's future kids to grow up together and be the best of friends. You should get up with her, you know, Carol began. Ask her about the shooting. Then you can see if she still likes you. And maybe, just maybe, you can pick up where you left off. Sam looked at Carol like she was jabbering nonsense. He said nothing as he puffed on his pipe. Come on. You stay here with us because your house is empty. Quiet. Liz can change that, Carol said. I think we have more important things to do at this moment than try to get me married off to a girl I haven't even seen in years, Sam said, irritated. Not really a bad idea to go talk to her, though, Neil began. She might give us something that Junior missed. Well... I had planned on talking to everyone involved, but this is not a social call. We leave the past in the past, Sam said firmly. A grin speared across Carol's face. You want her, and I'm sure she still wants you. What's the harm, she said. Sam stood and emptied his pipe. You ruined a perfectly good pipe. And a perfectly good sunset. Sam retired to his house as Carol turned to Neil and smiled. Neil placed his notepad in his shirt pocket and shook his head. Remember what you said about pushing him? He asked. Yeah, Henri. Carol smiled. And I was right. But I'm just trying to help him. Eight. Sam walked into his small house near King's Creek. The structure had sat vacant for many months and had started to smell stale and musty. He flipped a switch near the front door, which lit up the small living room. There was a fireplace along the far wall and a sofa in the center of the room facing it. Sam looked around inside. It was small, but it felt so large to him. He liked to be alone most of the time, but lately his solitude had been bringing up old demons from the past and he preferred the company of his family, which is why he spent most of his time with Neil, Carol, and Al at the farmhouse. He turned and walked to his bedroom at the end of the hall. In the center of the room, along the far wall, was his bed, made neatly up as if it had never been slept in. To the right was his dresser which held a few newspaper clippings recounting his acts of bravery from his younger years, before he left town, before the war, and before he lost his soul. He plopped down on the bed and glanced over toward his dresser, focusing on one article in particular that was propped up against a stack of small, round tins in such a way that Sam could see it from where he sat. 
The headline read, The King's Rescue Kidnapped Teen. With the article was a photo of Liz and her now-deceased parents. Sam sat staring at the article for a moment before he pulled out his tobacco pouch and began to pack his pipe. His mind was racing about the past that haunted him constantly. The recent visions were bothering Sam. The haunting dreams and sounds of the past were one thing, but now they had begun to manifest themselves as visions, and Sam was really starting to doubt his sanity. Thank you so very much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed Chapter 4. Next week, Chapter 5, Jaspers and Criminals. Just a friendly reminder, if you like what you're hearing, you can pop on over to Amazon.com where you can buy The Kings of Braxton, Born Under Trouble, on ebook and in paperback version. Thank you very much for stopping by. <laughs>